Welcome to another exciting episode of The Tax Efficient Investor. Listen in as host Michael Johnston demystifies tax-efficient tactics to help you grow your wealth. We break down complex tax strategies and make them simple to understand and easy to implement. From HSAs to IRAs, 1031s, trusts, and more, we cover it all here on The Tax Efficient Investor. Welcome to the show. I'm Michael Johnston. Joining me today to talk about tax-efficient investing is Barrett Limberg. Barrett is the co-founder at Savoy Equity Partners. Barrett, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. Look forward to chatting with you. Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited for this this conversation, Barrett. You know, the way that I view this, I take advantage of the tax code as an individual to generate alpha. By that, I mean, I, I uh, have a 529 that I funded for my son. I do a backdoor Roth every year. My business partners and I contribute, set up and contribute as much as we're able to, to a solo 401k. Uh, these little things that over the course of, of years and decades end up having a pretty significant effect on the net bottom line returns I'm going to have. Um, and I do that as an individual. And similarly, there are ways that, that companies or asset managers or developers can do that, uh, take advantage of the tax code, different sections of the tax code, um, but, but ways that fund managers can do you know, similar to what I do as an individual and, and leverage those incentives to, to, generate, uh, to generate alpha. So uh, excited to get kind of a different perspective on this from, from a fund manager on some of the strategies that, uh, that you're using to deliver tax adjusted, superior tax adjusted returns to your investors. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, uh, we dig into the weeds on this with some of our investors and we dig into it a lot in the office. Um, I mean, just recently we've started layering in a whole new type of tax credits and it's exciting for us and puts other people to sleep, uh, but but glad to go in as far as you want. Yeah, well, I think it's, I think it's exciting. I, I know our audience thinks it's exciting. So um, yeah, let's dive in here. So, you know, looking at your, I'm just going to read from your your website here. We strive to deliver superior tax adjusted returns with a low risk profile. So let's you know let's jump into the superior tax adjusted returns. I mean that that uh, makes my ears perk up, uh, puts others to sleep. But um, there's a for a, a, this audience, fortunately, those are uh, kind of four really exciting words when strung together there. So. How do you do that? How do you uh, how do you leverage the tax code to your advantage? Sure. Let me give a really simple example with this. Like I just said, we we're layering in a new type of tax credit that that we never used before, and and that's called the forty five L tax credit. So uh, last year uh, there was a new thing called the Inflation Reduction Act, and it's a misnomer because it probably causes more inflation because there's more spending uh, to incentivize all these tax credits. Uh, neither here nor there, 45L tax credit. Um, in order to get that, you have to build, as a developer, you have to kind of build a building to a specific uh, level of, of either green energy or, or zero energy or uh, to, to some level of, of energy code. Well, what we realized pretty quickly is, hey, where we are, Dallas already has a pretty high level of, of energy code and most places in the country do. Um, and so we're, we'd already started working on this project in San Antonio. It's 239 units, uh, it's HUD financed. And we said, hey, I wonder if we could get 45L credits uh, on this deal. And so we talked with our energy consultant, we talked with our GC and, and realized pretty quickly, hey, 
Um, and so 239 units is like a, a $50 million development and said, Hey, we can do a, a change order for $50,000. So a, a tiny percentage of the project. But if we do that, we'll get a tax credit of $2,500 per unit. So $625,000 tax credit. And, and 45L tax credits are dollar for dollar tax credits. So basically we're able to hand our investors back 625,000 bucks by doing this $50,000 change order. So that's the kind of thing that we like to implement. It's something we hadn't done before. We're just kind of digging into the weeds saying, hey, where can we uncover different ways to, to provide better tax adjusted returns? And, and that was a layup. Um, yeah. And so that's the kind of thing that we like to do. Hmm. That's interesting. I'm, I'm not familiar with, with 45L. You're the, the first one I've heard, I've heard speak about that. I'm, I'm guessing it has something to do with the, the heating and cooling or just more energy efficient components when you're, you're putting in a, a new building. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So you were essentially building nearly to that code already. Uh, yeah. so, so by making a, a pretty minor minor change order and uh, incurring another, I think you said 50K in costs, uh, you're able to get some pretty significant tax credits. And then how do those, how do those flow, do those flow through to your investors or, or how mechanically does that get down to, to your investor, your LPs in the deal? Yeah, uh, we're still in the process of figuring that out. So, so as I mentioned, this is something that we figured out after we capitalized the deal. Yeah. So it's not in our operating agreement. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to have to go through and figure out, hey, how do we pass this down? Because we hadn't, it, it hadn't been part of the plan in the first place. Right. Um, it, it will likely pass through to our LPs just like cash does and, sure. and just kind of go through the waterfall. Um, yeah. but, but we'll figure that out. And it, it's always easy to have those good conversations, right? That's right. That's a, a good problem to have is figuring out how exactly you're gonna you're gonna monetize the five hundred seventy five thousand dollars that you that's it. Uh, that you weren't counting on. That's um, it. That, that all of a sudden you've got. Okay, so forty five L. That, that's a that's a great example. Uh, what are some of the other? I know one other thing that you've used um, that you're not just learning that you've used uh, quite a bit is the historic tax credit. Um, can can you talk about that? Explain what that is, what the idea is, what we're trying to incentivize with those, and how you take advantage of it. Sure. Um, they're actually very similar to 45L tax credits in that they're dollar for dollar tax credits. Um, it, it's a federal program as well as a state program. And so the federal part of the program says, hey, if you do a certain level of renovations on a designated historic building, then the federal government will give you dollar for dollar tax credits on 20% of the renovations that you do to a historic building. Uh, every state has a, has their own program that piggybacks on it. Now, well, I say every state, 41 states have their own program that also give you money uh, for renovating old buildings. Um, Texas, where I am, has, has one of the best. They'll give you an additional 25%. So even more than the federal government, Texas will give you 25%. Um, some states will give you very little, 5%. Some states don't give you any at all. Um, but it's, it's another way just to incentivize kind of a, a particular type of developer behavior. Um, sure. the unfortunate thing in Texas is there aren't that many old buildings. Um, so we haven't found a ton of opportunities to incorporate that, but I think we have one coming up where we might be able to, 
to use it in a small way um, and, and hopefully more in the future. But it, it's certainly a program that is good in, in the right scenario. Sure. And, and so I suppose, you know, I, I always like to, it, it's fun to talk about the the what and the how of, of realizing these credits. Um, I, I like to, to think about the why too, and, and why is this incentive in place? We're trying to incentivize something. And I say we, uh, as a society, through our yeah. legislators, are, are trying to incentivize something. So 45L, we're trying to incentivize uh, efficient energy um, in, in new construction. Uh, historic tax credit. I suppose we're we're trying to incentivize um, keeping these these beautiful historical buildings um, and, and kind of maintaining some of the um, the historical value of it. Is that about right? Yep, that's it. Um, so it's interesting. People don't don't kind of understand the mechanics behind it, but the historic tax credit program is run by the National Park Service. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they're the ones who are telling you, you know what type of renovation you can do and how does it qualify. Um, So on the front end, you're working with them to say, hey, does this building qualify for for renovation? And if so, what scope of renovation do I need to do? What architectural characteristics need to be kept or or what can kind of go away? Um, And so, yeah, the National Park Service runs that. And yeah, they're just incentivizing certain types of buildings, more than 50 years old, Maybe something historically important happened there or a, a famous person slept there, whatever it may be. Um, but they're trying to incentivize that type of behavior. Sure. Um, well, you start adding those numbers up, 20% and 25%. You start getting up to some uh, some significant credits that, you, that you're uh, layering on here uh, in addition to what you know is hopefully um, an attractive project on its own. Um, but the, I mean, those are big numbers um, that we're talking about that, that you're able to get tax credits for. I have to imagine that that can have a pretty significant impact on the IRR, the, the return. I don't know if you've done anything to kind of uh, quantify some of these impacts, but we're you know we're talking about potentially pretty pretty big levers here. Is that right? Yeah, it's absolutely true, and it's hard to say globally. Hey, by doing a historic sure. tax credit deal, you're improving IRR by X percent. Um, because it it matters, right? How what are you buying it for? What's the scope of renovation? All those things, and and especially with a historic tax credit deal, those numbers can can just vary wildly. Um, yep. But what it does allow you to do is uh, do a deal that you might not otherwise, or um, just enhance the returns of a deal yep. that um, you know might have made sense otherwise. So it's just a nice tool to have in the tool belt um, to go out and and find deals that make sense. And so we are Texas multifamily uh, focused. That's all we really do. And so as we look at a whole bunch of deals and try and find deals that pencil, even in today's environment, having these types of tools just allow us to go find deals that work. Um, And that's really the key. Yeah, great. So we talked about 45L, we talked about the historic tax credits. What are what are some of the other strategies that, that your firm is using? Sure, the other two big ones today um, are Opportunity Zone, and then another one, uh, so Opportunity Zone is a federal credit, uh, a federal subsidy program, and then um, another one's called PFC, uh, Public Facilities Corporation. I'm glad to talk about either one. You can kind of guide me here. Yeah, let's, let's talk about OZ's 
first. Um, you were on my, my partner, Jimmy Atkinson's Opportunity Zone podcast. We'll put a link to that in the show notes um, and kind of talked about it at length. Um, but but essentially how the, the OZ program works, it's designed to get uh, lo- unlock capital gains. Folks who have a who realize a capital gain through the sale of uh, something as, as basic as uh, a stock, a publicly traded stock, a private company, real estate, crypto. Uh, they've got a capital gain and they invest that capital gain uh, into a qualified opportunity fund that is doing a project in a low-income census tract. There's about a little less than 9,000 census tracts throughout the U.S. that have been designated as low income census uh, low income census tracts been designated as opportunity zones so the idea is you get these capital gains and you incentivize people to uh, invest in these low income census tracts these opportunity zones and i'll let you bear talk through kind of some of the requirements there um, but if done correctly there's there's two pretty massive benefits um, well, there's there's really three. Uh, one, you can defer that capital gain until December 31st, 2026. So uh, you get to kick the can down the road a little bit. Um, and if you hold that investment for, for 10 years, uh, th- there's no capital gain on the back end. Uh, so I always like to say, Barrett, that the two best times to pay taxes are, are later and never. Uh, and the OZ incentive kind of checks both of those boxes. There's also a depreciation recapture uh, benefit uh, that, that we won't talk uh, a little bit more technical here, um, but it, having kind of set the set the table there, I'll let you talk about um, h- how you are, are taking advantage of this uh, pretty incredible tax incentive. Sure, I, and you kind of skip the depreciation recapture. I think it's it's really important, so we can okay. go into yeah, that if great. you want. Um, yeah, please. But I think how are we taking advantage of it? Well, we've been doing it now for for three years. Um, we've been doing substantial renovation deals. And what that means is you're buying an old beat up building. You're fixing it up to an extent that uh, meets the guidelines. And you're also building new buildings. So the, mm-hmm. the Opportunity Zone program was established basically to put money into these areas. So going back to uh, incentives, the government has really set up the Opportunity Zone program to incentivize behavior that that they want. And that is, um, you know, they want a significant amount of money spent in these Opportunity Zone census tracts. And so we've been doing that in, in two ways. Number one, we've been buying these old buildings and spending quite a bit of money to renovate them. And that's called substantial renovation is the tax lingo. And we've also been developing uh, ground up multifamily projects. And so those are the ways that we've been doing opportunity zone projects. Um, the main way that we've been doing it is we concentrated all of our development in one neighborhood. And mm-hmm. so we've got 20 plus buildings in one little neighborhood and wow. really said, hey, we can control our own destiny if we do that. So instead of buying one building in a low income neighborhood and just hoping that that, that neighborhood gets better over 10 years, hey, let's go buy 20 or more buildings in this one neighborhood and let's make the neighborhood better right now by what we do. Um, And so that's been our strategy. And and where is that neighborhood, Barrett? That's in um, kind of North Oak Cliff area of Dallas. So folks may have heard of the the Bishop Arts District. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very near there. Um, It's just across the Trinity River from downtown Dallas. Okay, great. 
Um, and then, so, so you, you, I'm glad you brought up and, and want to kind of circle back to the depreciation recapture. I, I've heard, you know, Jimmy calls that kind of a hidden third benefit. You, you pointed out maybe it's not so hidden. It's pretty substantial on its own. Um, so, so talk a little bit uh, about why that can be potentially valuable depreciation recapture. Sure. Well, getting into the weeds on it, right? Yeah. Um, which is what we like to do. So I, I like to think of the the no depreciation recapture as more of a tax credit in the opportunity zone structure than than a write-off like in a normal real estate deal and so uh, for for folks who are listening the mechanism um the way that this happens in the opportunity zone world is once you hold an opportunity zone deal for 10 years you get a step up to market basis so the the other time you may be familiar with this is when someone dies, their assets are stepped up to market basis. Well, in opportunity zone world, you don't have to die. You get the step up without that. So that's good news. Um, and, and so this mechanism is you, you step up to market basis and you don't have to recapture depreciation. Well, that's great news. Well, what does that mean? Um, Okay, well, let's explain it. When you buy a piece of real estate, you get to write it off. You get write-offs every year, and those losses get passed through to our investors. And now bonus depreciation allows us to pass through even bigger losses in the first few years of the investment. There are, there's two types of investors that we have. We have real estate professionals, and we have passive investors. The real estate professionals understand this in their core. So I'm not going to talk to them. They know how to use losses and, and they're cool about it. Uh, the passive investors are the ones that really need to get this. The losses that I'm passing through to them, they likely cannot use. Passive investors can only use passive losses to offset passive gains. And so, Michael, if I give you a big loss and you're a passive investor, you're going to be able to write off three grand. Well, I might have given you 100,000 in losses. So what are you going to do? You can't do anything. It's a suspended loss. Mm -hmm. Well, what you and I both know is that in April of 2027, you have a really big tax bill coming. Well, if I give you suspended losses that keep rolling over, in April of 2027, that suspended loss can offset that deferred gain. So that's the first time that these depreciation losses are going to benefit you. The second time they're going to benefit you is when you sell the OZ investment. In an ordinary deal, when you sell a real estate investment, the suspended losses would offset the capital gain, but you would still owe taxes. Well, in an OZ deal, you don't have any taxes. So now you have this whole bucket of suspended losses, but you don't have anything to do with them. So in the tax code, what happens is the suspended losses become unsuspended. They turn into net operating loss carry forwards, which is the most powerful kind of tax write-off. You're allowed to use them for up to 80% of your AGI every year until they're gone, up to 20 years. Um, so even for doctors and attorneys and engineers and anybody else, they can essentially use them for all types of income and they just get written off. So the, so the depreciation, it is that third hidden benefit, but man, it's really powerful.
Um, yeah. So that's way in the weeds, but I think it's it's super important about opportunity zone stuff. Yeah, that was fantastic. That's that is the best explanation of the the depreciation recapture uh, benefit that I've heard. Um, I'm a nerd. I love this kind of stuff. I love getting into <laughs> you know into the weeds here. Uh, but that was a great explanation. So um, I'm going to steal that right next. Time. I don't know if I can do <laughs> it as eloquently as you did. Spread but the word. Yeah, I know that was that was a, a nice concise summary. Um, because you know, as you mentioned, a lot of folks you, you kind of alluded to being a, a real estate professional. Um, there's kind of a, a technical a hurdle to reach there to, to to meet that definition. A lot of passive investors, a lot of high net worth individuals who are, are passive investors won't. Um, so, so what's going to be relevant for them is kind of the, the the two ways that those gains are unlocked that you just walked through. The one in 2027, and then the one you know down the road sometime when when hopefully this thing is sold for a for a big gain. Um, I love the strategy too. I, I, I've talked to a lot of folks who are doing OZ deals. I, I love the strategy of doing. Uh, kind of clustering in, in a neighborhood where you kind of keep more under your control. Um, you know, is that when you can control not the whole neighborhood, but a, a good chunk of the neighborhood, um, you leave less to chance that, um, you know, you're not counting on other folks to, to come up and do the same thing and, and kind of lift up the rest of the neighborhood if you're doing the whole thing. So um, interesting strategy there um, that I guess would apply regardless of whether you're in an, an OZ or not, but um, I think that's really interesting. Um, Let's move on here to the, the last one. I admittedly know probably the least about this of what we're talking about, uh, PFC. So uh, I'm going to learn something here. Sure. So, uh, and where are you, Michael? Sorry, I, I can't remember where you're based. I'm based in Oregon. Okay, great. So it, there's no real reason that you would know about this unless you really had talked with a lot of Texas developers. Um, there are some similar programs in other states, but but PFC is a is a tool that is unique to Texas. Um, so let me give you the groundwork. Developers hate pro paying property taxes. <laughs> That's easy. Uh, I do too. But, I get it. <laughs> there you go. But municipalities really want affordable housing. And, and that I think is nationwide. Yep. Um, and so in Texas, a program started a, a couple years ago and was recently totally revamped, uh, actually in June of this year. And basically, it's a program that allows developers and municipalities to make a deal. And that deal is, hey, if you make your new Class A development 50% affordable, then the property taxes can be abated for 75 years. For 75 years, okay. And at at the highest level, that's the whole deal. So the deal becomes 50% affordable at, at 60 and 80% AMI, and the property taxes go away. Now, there's a lot of nuance to it, um, but but that's the that's the crux of the of the deal that's made. And so yeah. what is what does that end up doing? Well, the property tax abatement and the rent. Uh, reduction that I take as the developer offset to an extent. Um, at the end of the day, my yield on cost goes up a little bit, but the municipality gets a significant amount of affordable housing. So the public benefit increase to them is very great, greater than the lost property taxes. So it's a win-win solution mm -hmm. and it's turned into a really good affordable housing development tool for these municipalities. Yeah, um, I think it's 
it's pretty clear here, you know, talking about the, the why, I think it's pretty obvious with this one, what what the state of Texas is, is trying to incentivize, uh, building more affordable housing. That's correct. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll point out that uh, Texas has fairly high property taxes, being a, um, have not having um, the state income tax, uh, which is, is, you know, Oregon's kind of the opposite. We've got low property taxes, but a, a pretty high income tax. They always manage to get you somewhere. Um, but, but property taxes can be a pretty significant expense uh, in Texas. That's correct. And that's why I think it's done so well here. The state of Florida is doing a very similar program that just launched. There's a similar program, I believe, in North Carolina. They have uh, different names. There's different nuance to them, but but there are similar programs that are starting to to catch on throughout the country. Yeah. So, Eric, you, you make all of this sound um, pretty simple and pretty easy, but but I know that it isn't. I know that kind of wrapping your head around um, these different incentives, figuring out if you're able to use them, how you're able to use them, how you're able to to maximize them if you are able to use them. Um, that's not a small feat. Like this gets this gets very complicated. So, uh, what you know? What is your secret sauce? How have you and your firm been able to to take advantage of a lot of these? I know that um, you know a lot of developers um, just they're not able to get their head around it, or they're not able. These things are sitting out there, but they're maybe not able to execute on it. So, um, how do you how do you crack the code here? Sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people are in the you know math is hard camp. And, and we've never been scared of that. So my background is as a mortgage broker. I, I've always been a problem solver, um, you know, and, and just able to go into the weeds of something, figure it out and yeah. say, does this math make sense? Um, and if it does, does the brain damage associated with it make sense? And so I think we've kind of gone down those rabbit holes and, and figured it out. Um, there are deals that might qualify for historic tax credits but we might not go after the historic tax credits, right? It, it costs too much to procure them. And so mm -hmm. you just, you'll renovate the deal and you'll maybe preserve the historic characteristics, but you just don't go after the historic tax credits because it costs too much to go get them. Um, so I think that you just balance that along the way. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know that that answers your question, but I think it's, it's just we've been doing it a long time. Certainly the first deal that we ever did didn't have any of these things. It's yeah. been um, a lot of trial and error, a lot of saying, hey, this this fits here, this fits here. Okay, now we've done a few iterations of all these, and now we kind of know how to layer them together. We have attorneys and consultants and CPAs that understand what we're up to, understand how to layer these things in. And kind of building that network and the the internal team, but all the outside network of consultants as well that that understands how to do it uh, has yeah. made it a heck of a lot easier. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Repetition. Repetition makes it easier. And uh, uh, I, I like your point about you know it's essentially problem solving, um, and and it's essentially math and, and problem solving, um, which I you know is is uh, much easier said than done. Uh, and, and not everyone has an appetite for it, but for the folks that do, like yourself, there can be potentially some some pretty significant benefits here. Um, well, Barrett, this has been fascinating. I, I love talking about this. I, I learned a couple of new things today. I wasn't wasn't aware of 45L or, or PFC. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom here. Where can folks go if they want to learn more about you and about your firm? 
Sure. I talk a lot on Twitter. Um, so that's maybe the easiest place. Um, uh, you can just look up my name or, or Dallas APTGP. Uh, also my firm's website, Savoy Equity Partners, um, and also on LinkedIn. So any of those places, feel free to reach out and say hello. Okay, great. And we'll put all of those in the show notes uh, for anyone who just wants to, to click through and, and find Barrett. Uh, Barrett, thanks so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. I really appreciate it. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.